Hey, everybody, and welcome to the NFL Roadshow on the Monday post week nine, coming off an upset driven Sunday and hopping into arguably the biggest upset of the season on Monday. Colts plucking Jeff Saturday off the ESPN set to be its head coach for the rest of the season in the wake of their firing of Frank Reich, which wasn't a complete surprise considering the way Indy looked yesterday and the way that they've looked this season and the moves that they've already made to shake things up at the quarterback position. They fired the OC last week. Then they lost 28-3 to the Patriots on Sunday with 121 net yards of offense and zero converted third or fourth down. And you knew anything was possible after that game, including this. And frankly, I'd be surprised if general manager Chris Ballard survived the season either. So the coaching change itself, not surprising at all. The specific coach that they went out and got to replace him temporarily, incredibly surprising for so many reasons. Most notably, Jeff Saturday has no coaching experience at the pro or college level and becomes the first person to take on a head coaching job in the NFL without that kind of experience since Norm Van Brocklin went from playing for the Eagles in 1960 straight to coaching the Vikings in 1961. Saturday does have some coaching experience at the high school level, though. He worked for three years with the school in Georgia. That was last year there was 2020, and his record that year was 3-7. and seven. That Ursay would be interested in giving him the job is not particularly surprising to me. For all we know, Saturday is the smartest football mind that Ursay has ever encountered. And I think we can all see a scenario where Ursay would see solid leadership and perhaps a countenance that he thought would be right to right the ship. The surprising part of the hire for me is that Ursay made this move despite the fact that so many people in the NFL have worked so hard in the last few years to raise awareness about the lack of advancement opportunity for minority coaches who desperately want to advance and are doing everything they can to try and do that and feel like they've been butting their head against a wall. People have organized mixers to try and get some of those coaches FaceTime with owners so that when it becomes time for the owners to hire people that they feel comfortable with, the pool of people that they feel comfortable with is a little bit more expanded. Roger Goodell has answered questions about minority coaching opportunities for years at his press conferences. Jim Mercer has to know that. He has to know that when the idea of hiring a similarly inexperienced coach was floated in Houston last offseason, there was so much blowback that the Texans had to pivot, could not make that move. My surprise is that Ursay would make this move without any regard to all of that. Like, you're willingly walking into a massive firestorm of unpopularity completely unnecessarily. He had to know that this would spark a conversation about minority coaching opportunities, about a different set of standards. And he did it anyway. And if he didn't know, how did he not know? This is the surprising thing to me. Because Ursay has a history of hiring minority coaches. It's not like he's been unwilling to do that. Other owners, perhaps, but not him. But to sit through meetings about equitable hiring practices and to hear the frustrations expressed by many of the minority coaches in this league about different sets of standards, and then to do this, knowing what it would look like, is just shocking. And by the way, no one is saying that Ursay has to hire a minority coach. It's just if the argument 
is, well, that guy wasn't hired because he's never called plays. And that guy wasn't hired because he's never been a coordinator. And that's what minority coaches are hearing when they're turned away from advancement opportunities. If you care about them knowing that that feedback is valid and that you would hire them if they checked those boxes, and you were sensitive to the fact that a lot of people in the league feel like they're not getting a fair shake, then you cannot hire a coach that doesn't check any of those boxes, that has absolutely no coaching experience, who's made no effort to learn the job or to climb the ladder. You just pluck him out of the pool and bring him straight to the top and you give him those valuable reps on a sideline that so many people who work as coaches would just kill for, including coaches, I'm sure, on that very staff. It feels like a pretty big misread of the room to me. It also puts Saturday in a really uncomfortable position, in my opinion, where people are going to resent the hell out of him. And I think that that's a bummer too, because from all accounts, from people who know him, he seems like a good dude and one that people want to succeed. So we'll see if he does. His first game will be in week 10 against the Raiders, a team he coincidentally tweeted about just a week ago. The tweet read, Raiders look horrible, which they did. That was the day of the Saints game when they got shut out. A day Donald Penn was no doubt frustrated as well. The 14-year NFL offensive tackle played for the Raiders for five years and still follows them very closely and joins me now to weigh in on what he sees taking place in Las Vegas. What else stood out to him about week nine? And of course, the big news of the day in Indianapolis. Let's break the huddle. Let's go. Two on two on two. Ready? Ready. So, Donald, um, we've got lots to talk about with regards to yesterday's games, but holy moly, this is some breaking news that I did not expect to be discussing on a Monday morning. Jeff Saturday, head coach, interim, interim head coach. What was your reaction to uh, that big news? Very, very surprising. I didn't think that was going to happen at all, but I'm kind of looking at it as he's going to let the coaches be the coaches. He's going to oversee everything. He's going to be a motivational guy. He's going to be a team player guy. I think they're bringing them in so the ship doesn't sink. They're hoping he's going to keep the ship any more than it already has. Exactly. They're hoping. I, I, think, I, I think that's that was a cure. Somebody in house, somebody that's played. You know, players respect him. I think that. Um, but you know, it's kind of slapping the face for these assistant coaches that've been there for so long too. Yeah, and then I mean, as soon as I saw that, I was like, I, I thought of. Um, Wait, why am I blinking right now? The the former Reggie Wayne. No, I, well, no. Although that is somebody, I don't think Reggie Wayne wants to be a head coach. I think yeah, if I they'd even so, gone either. to Reggie Wayne, he would have been like, "No, thank you." Josh McCown to... is who I thought of. Remember oh, when okay. Josh McCown's name came up and everyone went crazy? They were like, "They cannot give this to like the privilege involved with giving this to someone who has never coached at any level, you know, a white man in particular, without going through proper Rooney Rule channels." And like, there are so many people in the pipeline that are desperate for one of these. There's only 32 head coaching jobs. So that's the first thing that I thought of when I saw Jeff Saturday named um, head coach with like, I think he has high school coaching experience on his resume is I was like, this is, this is going to make a lot of people very, very angry. Well, I think it's just going to be till the end of the year. Then they're going to do a full head coaching job, but you know, you got to understand coach was put in the best spot. He has a, a aging quarterback that they threw him in, you know, to try to really, work this year their star running backs been out with injuries a lot it's tough he was in a bad spot um 
I, you know, I always wish they let the coach finish out the year, but hey, I think it had to be done. But hopefully, you know, Saturday's going to bring an upbeat locker room. He's going to get those guys uh, ready to go, ready to play because he's been a player. He knows what to say. You know, he's not going to really be an XO's guys, I don't think. I think he's just going to let the coaches coach and oversee stuff, but he's going to get those guys ready. We're going to see. We're going to see what's going to happen. That's the argument that makes sense to me is that you just bring in somebody that's literally just going to organize everything. And it makes sense. You could make the argument that like, we want to keep Gus Bradley in the role that he is and let him like that. If to take him out of that and have him take on head coaching responsibilities, in addition to coordinating, it just, uh, it just upsets things even further. So I guess there's an argument to be made there. The offensive line in Indianapolis and not lost on me. I'm talking to an offensive lineman here. So I'd like to get your take on what you've seen from them, because I think that that is the one thing that you can look at the Colts and and say is the biggest surprise. The fact that the offensive line is the highest paid in the league and they have not played well at all this year. Have you been surprised at what you've seen from them on the line? And how much do you think that the play there has impacted the play that we've seen at running back and quarterback and just offense in general? Well, that, speaking of the offensive line, that was one of my top five offensive lines at the beginning of the season. Yeah. And they're not performing how they did, but you have to understand what they're coming from. They're coming from a mobile quarterback who get out stuff, make them look good here to a quarterback that needs all the time possible. Yeah, Matt Ryan was a pocket quarterback and he, he wasn't making them look good. He can't get out of stuff. He wasn't making them look good. Then having the not getting that running game going, it's tough. That offensive line is not looking like, like they're supposed to. They're not playing up to their expectations and they got to get that together fast. But that's another thing that, Jeff Saturday is definitely going to have his uh, nose in and he's going to help that a lot. Because I remember when I was with Washington and they fired Jay Groot my last year, uh, Bill Callahan was my O-line coach. He had to go head coach duty. So the off- the assist office line coach came. But, you know, Bill, O-line coach's heart, he was still peeking in the room, you know, coming, giving us our two cents every chance he get he got. So I feel like Jeff Saturday is really going to help that that O-line get some stuff fixed. He's probably going to, you know, go in there and make stuff a lot simple, simplify a lot of stuff. You know, I think he's gonna have a lot of input for that line. Um, so you mentioned earlier that you would rather see a head coach finish out a season. Um, you've been in situations where that has not been allowed to happen. Looking around the rest of the league, the Raiders are a team that has um not played to expectations. I love the reaction already. Like what <laughs> what are you they're thinking? Killing, they're killing me. They're killing me. Me and my son were talking about that on the way to school this morning. He's like He's like, he wants the coach gone. I'm like, no, no, wait. But it's just the way they're losing, the fashion that they're losing in holding, having leads and not being able to hold on to them. That's tough to eat as an owner, knowing that you're right there. And they still had chances. I, I'm really, the Raiders are not playing up to their expectations. They have the, the lines not blocking Derek. You know, and Derek's, you know, Derek's grown very much where he didn't really hang in that pocket a lot. He's hanging in there trying to, Hang in there as long as possible, but they're not blocking. They're not holding up. And if they don't get ahead on the first or second down, they're not really able to convert that much on third down. And they went away from, from um, passing that ball to, to our guy Adams first half to second half. It was just, I just felt like they were forcing stuff. I, I'm just so, I'm so frustrated. I was at the Arizona game too. So that was a lot of frustration. And then now this, I'm just very frustrated. I didn't, I had no idea that we were going to lose Jacksonville. 
The well, and as I think a lot of people thought that they were not going to lose to Jacksonville when they took a 17 0 lead in the second quarter to end up blowing that type of a lead to the type of team that Jacksonville is, because it's not like you know, it's like the Bills or the Eagles or somebody that you know has the ability to come back on you. Jacksonville struggling a lot this season. When you look at the Raiders, um, what what do you see as their primary problem? Why is it not working? How much of it is on coaching to your son's point? And you made a great point for it to be a team like Jacksonville to come back from uh, that deficit and win. It really, really hurts. It has to hurt, but I really think it has to be something going on with that coaching. I don't know if they're not staying aggressive. I don't know if they're getting uncomplacent. It's, it's something going on. It's not flowing. And, you know, Derek, even said in his press conference, he said, guys have to understand that the game's not over at halftime. So it's something going on in there that we don't know. Because they've been talking about it. Because he made a point. This is the first time ever talking about it was this game. So they made a point. It's been talked about. Something's going on. I don't know what it is. But they need to find a way to get this fixed. Because we really don't look good at all. Is any of it on Derek? I mean, he's a quarterback. It's always going to be on him. But one thing I know about Derek is he's always going to own up to his mistakes. He's going to man up. He's going to work work his butt off to try to get stuff fixed and get stuff going. But, you know, Derek does have to... Uh, you know, improve his play. And the line has to help him too. The line really has to help. When they're running the ball, we're playing great, but we have to be able to pass the ball too. And we have to get Waller back. You know, we haven't had him too. So that middle of the field is really hurt. was really hurting us. So we have to understand that, but that's just one guy. We can't put it all on on that. Um, I feel like defense played a little bit better, but then second half we collapsed. What's happened to Renfro? Ever since that concussion, he hasn't been the same. You know, he missed two games, so I don't know if that's really affecting them. Um, you know, the pass rush hasn't been there like it was um, last year and earlier in the season. We brought Chandler in. Um, he, he's playing the run very hard, but we need to get some more pressure from him. Uh, Crosby, he's doing as much as possible, but, you know, Hunter, he really does have to step back up because he has not been the same since that Arizona game. The O-line, they've kind of had like a patchwork trying out different combinations all year long. In your opinion, what's the right combination? What's the path forward there? I think they have to stick with what they have right now, that line, and go forward. They have Parm, the young guy. I worked him out this summer, so I know he's a hard worker, but he's a rookie in there playing. Um, our right tackle, we have to get better. Colton's probably the only one that's playing solid. He's playing very solid, and he's having a good year, and he has to lead that line. But the, the line that's been out there the last two weeks, they have to stick with it. I, they can't shuffle anymore as long as these guys stay healthy. But we have to get our pass blocking going a lot better. Derek Carr is used to being comfortable back there. And that's a lot of pressure. Um, he's getting hit a lot. He's getting sacked. Like you said, he came into this game with back problems. So we need to get that right. But they are, when they do run the ball, that's the only positive thing. But if we don't get that, those positive runs on first, second down, we're, we're three and out. When you say you got to get that right, um, that's obviously easier said than done, right? Like, because they're trying to get it right. What specifically is it that you see that, like, like if you were there and you were in that room, what what would you say to them? What, to the O-line? Yeah. Oh, I'll tell you, we have to hold up better. You know, they're not getting beat at the beginning of the plays. They're getting beat towards the end of plays. We have to hold up longer. Um, I, I have to tell them that, you know, we will be doing extra stuff. We'll be working hard. We'll be trying to change up the scheme. But they have to, they're just losing at the end. They're not being able to, to it's too much pressure. It's too much pressure being uh, put on, on Derek right now. They got a young line too. They got a lot of young guys. 
they got some new guys that's, that are playing just like the, the rookie um, guard, but they have to figure a way to get this fixed. You know what I would do, though, if I was a coach? I'll try to move the pocket. You know, a lot more play action, a lot more, you know, you know, a lot more nakeds. You know, um, they have been doing screens, but a lot they don't do a lot of out, outside screens to the receivers. I would have to do a lot more of that, get that going, loosen, loosen the loosen the rush up. I feel like that's one of those things too, like um that that you can point to the coach. Uh and there are a few different teams around the league that that I look at and I kind of go, hey man, you know, like like the Cardinals, for instance, are a team that um, a couple of weeks ago, they made this big point of DeAndre Hopkins in his first game back. All of a sudden, he's lining up in the slot like 45% of the time, something like that. And then Kyler made this big um, uh, big thing about the fact that like we have to move him around more to make things hard on the defense. He can't just like always line up on the left side because then the defense knows what to do and how to defend that. You're just making things easier for them. And so I thought that that's what they were going to do moving forward. And then in the last two games, they've gone right back to, you know, he lines up on the left side and he's not really moving around much and they're getting Rondell Moore the ball and other people are involved, but I I keep watching them on offense. I'm like, you're losing. And DeAndre Hopkins yesterday was targeted five times. He's clearly the best weapon on the field. Like he's the most talented guy, whatever it takes, you know, find ways. You can't just say like, hey, guys have to execute at some point. Like you need to put a plan in place that puts your best assets in a position in which they can succeed more. Like Seattle is one of the best defenses at defending the boundary receivers. So I thought for sure, we're going to see him in the slot. So for fantasy purposes, I was like, maybe don't play Rondell more this week. But then Cliff Kingsbury doesn't do that. And so that doesn't play out that way. Um, what does that make sense to you at all? Is there a football reason why you wouldn't move someone like that around more? I feel like the, um, that's what the Raiders did in the first half with Adams and opened up a lot of stuff this past week. I feel like they need to definitely do that because it creates so many mismatches. Yes. Not even for Hopkins, for the guy, some guy that's taken over, the other guy has to, has to guard, you know, another guy. It creates mm-hmm. so many mismatches. And like uh, Murray said, it keeps them guessing. Yeah. You have to keep these teams guessing. You can't be a one-dimensional team in this league. And 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 once you are, and I feel like that's one thing the Raiders are one-dimensional right now. But but um, Arizona, I feel Murray's right. You have to keep them moving around. Throw some screens. Put them in the slot. It's going to create so many mismatches. It's going to open up for the team. And like I said, it's going to keep the defense on their toes. Yeah. I feel like that's one of those things that at the end of the year, when we kind of look back and try and evaluate um, coaching is, is a knock that I have in my head against Cliff Kingsbury. I'd be interested to hear his rationale for why he's not moving him around more. I'm sure there is a reason, you know, I obviously give him the benefit of the doubt that like, he's not just completely not considering that as a concept. There must be a reason, but I'd be very interested in hearing what it is. Um, On the positive side of things, there are some coaches who are knocking it out of the park this year. I look at like last night's game, the Titans against Kansas City, and you're like, how is Vrabel doing this? You know, how does he keep getting this team in a position where, I mean, how do they have five wins was my thought as I watched them play all night long. How are they in this ball game against Kansas City? How have they won as many games as they have? I mean, I realize they haven't been playing with Malik Willis all season long, but I mean, they were clearly saying we don't want our quarterback to throw the ball. And they didn't have a single pass completed to a receiver in that game. And yet they took Kansas city to overtime. Can you explain to me how they're able to do that? It's amazing. Uh, We are really, I really have to put Tennessee higher because 
what they did to Kansas City, who I think are one of the top teams in the NFL right now, yeah. without passing the ball. But you always know to beat Kansas City, you have to be able to run the ball. Kansas City is not a good run defense, so you know that. But they went in there, they took Kansas City's will. That is going in there and taking somebody's will. Knowing you're going to run the ball over and over and over again, you can't stop it. That is really taking somebody's will, and that tells you how good this team is. Wait till they get the starting quarterback and they're able to do more. You can't. You have to look at that. Like this is, it, it was really, it was really a sight to see. It was made to watch the way they really took advantage of that Kansas City front, and just it, it was crazy. It was like they, I, I, it was like they were just you knew they were running the ball and they just could not stop it over and over again. It was, it was just, it was, it was crazy. Uh, Kansas City is definitely going to have to address that because now. All these teams, I've seen this, and, and it's going to open up, you know, a big hole and open up some floodgates for them. But that is incredible, and that tells you how good Tennessee is. Yeah, and I feel like we're seeing more of that type of approach this season. There's so much more parity in the NFL this year, it feels like. Like, there's a handful of teams that feel like they're legitimately good, and I know that the Bills, uh, we'll talk about that game in just a bit. The Bills had had an off day yesterday, and um, props to the Jets. But the Bills are clearly one of the better teams in the NFL and have the pieces to be in it until the end. Um, the Eagles are that team. The Chiefs are that team. Um, other than that, you've got like a lot of teams that are in the mix um, from a win-loss standpoint and have a, a legit shot to make it to the playoffs. Some have a legit shot to make it to the playoffs that I think you would look at and say they're not good teams, but you know they're winning some games here. They're like the Falcons are another team that comes to mind where they can take this old school control the clock, run the ball. We don't have a team that is built as good as yours. So we're just going to keep the ball out of your um, more talented team's hands. And we're just going to run and they're keeping the score down and giving their team a chance to win it in the fourth. Sometimes it's working. Sometimes it's not. But I think that uh, the Falcons are a team that I thought was going to be just awful coming into the season. And then all of a sudden here they are, they're in a bunch of games this year. The fact that there is this big middle of teams, right? Like fighting for spots. I think it kind of opens up that approach a little bit more than we've seen in years past. It's going to make it more interesting for the fans too, because the games are going to be better. They're going to be more exciting. They're going to be going, you know, another team that's doing that too is Chicago. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, they're going back with the old school football. And you know what I like about this is these teams are not trying to do what they know they can't do. They know uh, they can't yes. go up there. You know, they're, 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 they're playing their game. You know, a lot of times you see, these teams, like, I felt like Fields' first year, they were trying to do stuff that he was not ready to do. Now these teams are saying, okay, I know what I got. I know my personnel, and I'm going to use them the best way possible. And they succeed. And just like when Tennessee, they say, I know I have a quarterback, so I'm going to use this team. I'm going to. I'm not going to put my quarterback in a bad position. I'm going, my young quarterback, I'm going, he had two at the end of the game, but hey, that's at the, but they're doing that, and it's starting to work for these teams, just like Atlanta. Atlanta's saying, okay, we their their package with with that um rerun. I mean, it's just so great with Mariota. I mean, it's it's just you know the Raiders miss that too. Miss having him there to throw him in and do that. I'm sorry, I always go back to the Raiders. You know, I grew up. You know, you know, but um yeah, the way they're doing that, I just love it because I hate when coaches try to make you do something that you know you're not good at. 
Yeah. Well, that's the thing that I've loved about the bears in the last few weeks. And I, I don't know if I should be celebrating Eberflus or just, you know, like saying like, Hey, this was super obvious out of the gate. Why did it take you this long to do this? But at least he's made that pivot. Whereas Nagy would not Justin Fields using him to his strengths. And I've heard people say like, Oh, this will, this will hurt his development as a passer and maybe harm him in the long run. I don't see that at all. I think that this is until he, as he develops that aspect of his game, this will open that up. This will create more success in the passing game. And then we saw them go out and get Chase Claypool so that the few times that they do attempt passes in a game, and I think it will become incrementally more and more and more as they become more comfortable. And as he gets better in that role, uh, you know, those, those pass catchers are actually going to catch the passes. And so you're building around him in a way that I think makes them a team that feels pretty exciting moving forward. Um, as you mentioned, their, their run game has just been crazy. They've, they've rushed for at least 225 yards as a team in each of their last four games. The last team to do that was the 1976 Steelers. So it's just bonkers what we're seeing there. I'm interested in your thoughts on that particular O-line though, because, um, they're a funny one in terms of like evaluation in that ESPN has a pass block win rate stat and PFF grades pass protection and those grades. And then the pass block win run, no, the pass block win rate. I always can't say that sentence. Um, they are graded out by ESPN as being very good and by PFF as being very bad at literally the same thing. So. Uh, can you, what, what have you seen with the bears offensive line? How do you think they're doing? I feel like they are playing above and beyond what anybody expected for them to play this year. I had them at my lower tier offensive lines coming into this, uh, um, season, sorry, season, but they are playing their butts off. They're running the ball very well. They're playing good on the play action. They're, they're, um, you know, the couple of times they do slip or make a mistake Justin Fields is so great he makes them look good back there so you have to see that but I really feel like they're they're out playing what everybody expected them to play and they're gelling very well they're playing together and I just feel like they got to keep that going and like you said they're bringing the pieces to help Fields out but I think get another tight end get a nice tight end another receiver they're going to be okay but I do agree with you with how Fields will progress with time it's just going to come it's going to keep coming, keep doing what he's doing well. That past stuff is going to come. It's going to come. But, yeah, this old line is playing their butts off in there. They're playing far beyond what, what, what I expected, and I feel like um, what their team expected. And you got to know, those grades things, uh, I'm not really one of those grades, you know, follow those grades things. I like to watch the film. Well, um, those of us who don't know what we're seeing when we watch the film rely <laughs> on the grades, right? <laughs> <laughs> I got you. I got you. I know that's not you. Um, uh, the Buffalo game, I mentioned it earlier. It was obviously an off day for Josh Allen. Um, the reaction to that was really wide. I think it was um funny for me to see it on the one hand, some people saying this is my concern about Buffalo, is that they're built to to rely so much, like so much of the, everything that they're doing runs through Josh Allen. So that if he has an off day, you can't really get around that. Like it's so damning to you as a team if Josh Allen is just not clicking on all cylinders. And then on the flip side, um, Emmanuel Acho was saying, well, it's done. The MVP race is over. It's um, he can't be in the mix anymore because he cost his team a game and we got to give it to Jalen Hurts and all this stuff. And I was like, right, please don't hit respond. Please don't engage. Don't engage. That's what this is meant to do. But um, to me, 
the point of that that Acho was making in, in that he cost his team uh, the game kind of points to his value anyway, which is the other point that was being made. Like you can't absorb an off day from this guy. That sort of helps make the argument that when we're discussing them as one of the best teams in the NFL, if we're saying it's because Josh Allen is playing well and they're so reliant on that, then that is the argument for a valuable player, is it not? It definitely is. I mean, he's one of the best players in the, in, in the league, but he does lead this team, and Buffalo needs to find another way if he is having an off day to be able to win. But you have to give credit to the Jets. The Jets played a great game. Yes. Um, I love that coach. I love the mentality he has. I love how the team loves him, how the team's playing for him. Um, that defense sauce, they are playing their butts off. But but Buffalo's going to be okay. These things happen. These things happen in the season all the time. And it's too early, Acho, to start claiming all this stuff. Jalen is playing his butt off. I'm with you on that, but we still got a long yeah. season to go ahead. But these things happen. He and they're learning lessons for later on in the season. They're going Buffalo's gonna make sure this doesn't happen again. Josh's gonna make sure this doesn't happen again. But they do need to start making a plan just in case something happens. Josh might go down. Every you never know. Buffalo needs to start having a, a backup plan just in case something like this does happen. Uh, yeah, I would definitely. I, do agree, I mean, I'm sorry, I do agree with you. He is their bread and butter. Yeah, Sala, Sala. I mean, I think you have to put his name in the mix for coach of the year. Um, Dayball might be running away with that award at this point, but but Sala is doing some great stuff. And one of the things that that uh, stood out to me yesterday is like the defense played well. The defense has been playing well for the Jets. I think. I was going into yesterday's game thinking that that was going to be a big tell for me though, because they had been playing well for the last month against opponents um, that were not particularly impressive. Right. So I was like, okay, they've, they've done it against bad teams, but what does that actually tell us? Um, so we're going to learn a lot about them today against Buffalo. And I think now you have to put them in a conversation as a team that has turned it around on defense and has some really good pieces on offense uh, I'm not sure that they're there yet. And and I think that that's one of the reasons, and we talked earlier about coaches putting their players in a position to succeed. And that's how, you know, you have a good coach or not. Sala had a great game plan against Buffalo, right? Like, you know, coming in that they have this incredible pass rush that could be a problem. And so he clearly had a game plan to combat that. Like Zach Wilson's time to throw on the season is one of the longest times to throw in the NFL. It was 3.12. Yesterday he was getting the ball out in 2.31. And that was, I think it was second highest in the NFL. So they ran some RPOs. They ran some screens. They just had a plan to put themselves in the best possible situation under the circumstances. This is one of those games where Nobody thought the Jets were going to win, and the Jets knew they were going to. This is why, as a player, when you go in the game and you know, like, hey, we got to get this one to prove all the doubters wrong and let them know. And they came out and did everything they needed to do as a team to um, show everybody that they should be talked about. I'm with you, though. I don't think they're there yet, but this was one of those games where the momentum, they were pumped, they were at home, they had a good week of practice, he had a good game plan. Everybody knew that they wanted this game. That locker room was vibing. The sidelines vibing. They knew they needed to go upset this team and show the world that, hey, start talking about us. And they did. And his game plan was great. But this was like, that team knew they wanted this win. They went, And they knew Buffalo, one of the top teams, what do you do to get talked about? You go knock down the top team. And, and they did that. So, you know, I'm proud for that team. I hope they don't have 
a hangover from this game. But but I'm I'm proud I'm proud of that team. But I don't think they're there yet though. But this one week, you know, every week is what's teams better better than you that week, and Jets were the better team. Who is there yet outside of those three teams that I mentioned earlier? Buffalo, Philly, Kansas City. Who else in the NFL are you buying these days? Man, it's tough. It's it's really really tough. What about because Seattle? Are you in on Seattle? I you don't have to say this. I uh, I think Seattle's going to be doing nothing like, nothing like this. But no I, one I, I still did. I still don't buy it yet though. No, I still don't. Because you know What's why? I, I, it's just so hard to believe. I'm be honest. It's just so hard to believe. It's so hard is to believe it, they're doing this well. And Gino's playing his butt off. The game plans are great. I just don't think it's going to keep on going. And I don't want to, I hope they do. I hope they do make me eat my words, but I don't know if it's going to keep going. Is it, is it because of the sample size that we had seen from Gino and you're just waiting for the wheels to fall off? I hope the wheels don't fall off, but I think they're going to fall off at some time. They're, they're vibing. They're going right now. They're surprising everybody, but I just, something in me is just, ah, I don't know if they're going to make that, that actual push. You know, they made the playoffs. They might be a first round, you know, elimination if they do, if they keep it up, but I don't think they're going to make that actual. I don't, I don't think there's that strong yet. It's funny. I was a hundred percent what you're saying right now. I like a week and a half ago, I was, I was still there. I was a hundred percent like, no. And I have a, I have a good friend who's a Seahawks fan and every week he's come to me and he's like, so now, and I'm like, no, 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 I'm not buying it. Um, but you know, like, it's cute. It's cute. I'm glad that you're happy. This is doing great. But then I think I got to a point last week where I was looking at some numbers and like Gino's Gino's it's, it's not fluky. Like he's, he's being efficient. He's being accurate. He's making the right reads. He's getting along. And then you also look at like some of the argument when I argue against the giants, for instance, I'm like, you don't have any wide receivers, you know, like you can poke holes in it. And there are so many teams that are in this mix for teams that could potentially make the playoffs that you can poke all these holes in like the Titans, you know, with the whole wide receiver thing that we talked about, but then you go, okay, well, but Seattle, do they have a running back that you trust in Kenneth Walker? I mean, yes, he's insane. He's so good, right? Do you have wide receivers? Yeah, Tyler Lockett and DK um, with the right quarterback. Uh, that That's one of the best, you know, pass catching combos that you could possibly want. The offensive line is playing so much better than they have in years past. Those two draft picks have, have uh, really stepped up. The defense, the first month of the season, they were like same old Seattle defense. You want to, you know, teams can run on them. That hasn't been the case in the last month or so. So I'm having a hard time sticking with that argument of the wheels are going to fall off because they're just checking so many boxes. It's starting to look real to me. Like last week, or yesterday they were they were dogs going up against Arizona I was like has anyone seen Arizona play this year like Arizona's not good they're a team that we think is good or has the potential to be good because they've got D hop and they've got Kyler and they've got like these big name pieces but they're not playing well this year I mean D hop is but Kyler's not Cliff's I'm not making good coaching decisions in my opinion like they're not a team that I believe in um, the Seahawks are kind of slowly creeping up and, and I think they might actually be legit this year. I, I, I would love to see that, but you know, one thing too, that, um, they have a great coach, Pete Girl. If he, he's going to keep them down the straight and narrow road, you know, he's going to have them. He has time for us to relax and play, but when it's time to work, it's time to work. So, you know, having that, uh, leader there, that's going to keep you on this narrow road and keep the, 
keep everything going right. You know, you might be right. You might be right. I would love to see it. I, I hope so. I would love to see Gino. You know, I love the underdog stuff. I would love to see Gino surprise and prove all the dollars wrong. But, you know, what Pete Carroll's done in the past, uh, you know, they, they do have the chance to do this. You, you might be right. But it's just something in my gut that's just like, ah, ah. Yeah, I want I think, to, but it's just, ah. I get it. I think our priors are strong, right? And nobody thought that, I mean, we, I, and I fall into this category too, like we laughed about Seattle this off season. We were like, what are they doing? It's so bad. Like, sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Gino, Gino and Drew Locke. And like, yeah, you're excited about them, Pete. Like I thought he was just full of it and doing his whole like smoke and mirrors optimism stuff. And that they were just going to get through this season and then go get a quarterback in the draft. And, uh, lo and behold, um, I think Pete Carroll might be the last one laughing. Um, same, same with Chicago, right? Like we talked about that earlier, but Chicago was the joke of the off season. Like they don't have any pieces out there. What are they doing from a building standpoint? And I think that those, those things were all fair because they ended up having to go get a wide receiver at the deadline and maybe overpay for him. I think it will end up being worth it in the end because it'll help Justin field development and it'll help us get a read on him. But um I don't know, man, this season has been just crazy. I'm curious to know when you have, you mentioned something about Pete Carroll and being a good coach and what, what has made you feel on the teams that you've been on when they've been good? Like you, you kind of know, like you're always optimistic when the team's not winning, that you're going to get it turned around, but sometimes things are just clicking and you know that they're clicking. Like what is present in that situation for you? How would you describe it? What makes you feel that sense of confidence? When when the ball's falling your way, when luck's when luck's going your way, when the calls are going your way, when the tip passes are going your way into your hands, you know, when you're making great like that 2016 season, we were making so many comebacks, you know, then you just start getting the momentum. You start just feeling like you can't be beat. But I really feel like when things when you know things are going to start rolling is when like little calls go your way, balls roll your way. It's a fumble. Oh, we recover it. You know, little things start going your way through the season early. Then you're like, okay, okay. Cause I feel, I always tell people, man, this game, you got to have some luck. You got to have some luck. I tell people all that. You got to have some luck to win this game. So like, I feel like when things are going your way and falling away, you look at the um, Seahawks, things are going their way. Things are falling away. Everything's going their way right now. So you never know. But I mean, that's how I really look at how everything's going. And the, of course, the vibe, how we're working. You know, like training camp tells a lot. If you're competing and working hard in training camp and going back and forth and you know you're you're really competing, you know it's gonna pay off. And and but when the season starts and everything just starts clicking and it's just like, you know, it's just, it's just a feel like you know, things are falling your way, everything's working. Mm-hmm. You know, you just keep it going, you just keep it going. I feel like Seattle has that feel right now. Yeah. And there are a lot of teams that do not green Bay is like the opposite of that from a vibe standpoint. I mean, I just feel like there's such an intense negativity around that team and not just because they're not winning, but like the whole dynamic of there was a moment in yesterday's game where, um, Toure caught the ball 
and it's this great catch. And then he fumbles the ball and then he was crawling frantically to get the ball. And I'm totally projecting, but all I saw in that moment was like him freaking out. Like I got to get this ball. Cause Aaron Rodgers is going to light me the fuck up. Like he's going to be so mad at me. He's never going to throw it to me again. Like, I feel like the dynamic and the interpersonal relationships and reading body language and stuff like that. It's like right on the edge there in green Bay. A lot of people in that office don't like each other. Yeah. And you could tell. And they're just going to work. You work with people you don't like before. Yeah. You just got to go to work. I mean, no, job. I didn't. I didn't mean to answer that so not, quickly. No, no, that's never happened but to me. You understand. You just got to go and do your job. And that's what this team looks and feels like. Like they're put on their fake smiles. They're put on their fake happy. But people are not happy to go to work. People in that office are not happy. They're, it's a disgruntled <laughs> work environment. Uh, and that's what it really seems like. People don't, I don't feel like the team trusts the coach. Um, and once you lose respect for the coach, it's all downhill from there. What's the, what's the right way for Rogers to lead in that situation? Because I know on the one hand, you know, there's, there's like a tough love angle and sometimes calling people out gets the best out of them. Um, sometimes I think when you have such a power imbalance, like there clearly is in that locker room, like he's one of the best of all time. And, uh, it feels like all of his pass catchers are like rookies or like people that are trying to establish themselves and have a lot to learn still. Um, and, and it feels like when the power dynamic is that great, then maybe that's not the moment when you do take that tough love approach. Maybe you need to bring them on differently. Um, what do you think is the right approach there? I feel like he should blame himself for everything that's going wrong in the public and criticize in the locker room um, behind closed doors. Pull those mm-hmm. guys in, have have, have meetings with just receivers. But in the media, you blame yourself. I need to do better. I need to do better. I need to do better. You always blame yourself to keep those young guys positive. So I feel like no matter what, even if you don't feel like you, it's your fault, in the media, you take full blame for everything. When you get with the team, you have closed door meetings or you have personal talks behind the media where you could call them out and tell them you need more. That's why I feel like his total approach should be. And then it wouldn't be, like you said, all this negativity and everything coming from that. I feel like that that's that's bringing more light to it. Like Josh Allen did yesterday. Josh Allen said, this was on me and you can't win when your quarterback plays like shit against a good team. And then I saw Deion Dawkins in the locker room saying, that's 100% why we love him. Like, cause it's not all on him. I mean, clearly part of it was right. But that's what you want is that guy who has that confidence and knows that he can, he can take that on. Like he has the capital to say like, oh, on me, what are you going to do about it? You know? And, and then you address and- it, you address it Monday in the meetings. You address it during a week of practice behind closed doors. You don't do it in the, in the meeting. If you do, even if Josh does think, you know, we both know what it was, but if he doesn't think it's fully his problem, you address it, you address it after. Yeah. In private. What do you see with um, Tom Brady? Uh, I want I wanted Tom Brady to walk off with one, but I feel like he has a soul. He has a lot going on right now. You kind of see it. Like you remember, I told you things got to go your way, things got to fall your way. They're not. They have no luck right now. Nothing's going their way. Nothing's falling their way. What well, he did yesterday a little bit, but he just looks like he's rethinking that he should retire. No. That's just how that's how he's thinking. But I know the competitor in him. Um, he's the GOAT. Uh, I have tremendous respect for him. He's gonna find a way to get together though. But it's just not flowing. I know the season's not going the way he thought it was gonna go. And, and 
it look you could tell by looking at him. It, 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 he got a lot going on. It, it, his body language, you could tell. But I feel like that win yesterday helped him a lot. But they got a long way to go. But the good thing about them, that, that conference is still wide open. Though. That conference is still wide open. But you know, that defense is not playing how they played last year and the year before that to help uh, Tom out. So he has to do a lot this year. And the run game's not helping him out like it was last year. So it's, it's a lot of onus on him. And uh, But he's a GOAT. He's going to figure out a way, man. I, I'm, a, I'm a big Tom Brady fan. So he... he He's going to figure out a way. Um, I think he might retire after this year, though, if it doesn't go his way. Oh, my gosh. I, I hope so, even if it does go his way, right? Like, I feel like he's had a taste of the, like, maybe this is what it feels like when you stick around a little bit too long, and this isn't the way I want it to go. I keep waiting for them to turn things around just because there's too much talent there. Mm-hmm. Um, Like, I'm not waiting for it for Green Bay. I don't think it's going to happen. And I And I felt that way pretty early on but for tampa bay i keep clinging to hope that the talent will take over at some point and like you mentioned the conference is wide open and they are leading their division right now despite the fact that they've been outscored by two points on the season like everyone in that division is net negative in terms of um margin of victory it's crazy but i would love just to see tom um you know finish the season out and um go out a little better but you know i feel like this should be tom's tom's last season man he's He's done it all. He he he's one of the best ever. But hopefully they can get this turned around. But Tom, if you're listening, call it reps after this big daddy. <laughs> Let me ask you one last question. I want to get O line thoughts. Um, is there anybody in the league that you think we should be talking about more from an offensive line standpoint? Because this is obviously a, a position group that goes under celebrated to a degree, right? Like we, we talk about the people usually when they're not playing well, let's talk about some guys who are crushing it. Well, I want to get my hats off to the Philadelphia's offensive line. We already knew they were going to come in come in and ball, but they're, they're really playing their butts off. They're really playing well. And after what Tennessee just did this past Sunday, I have to, even with their left tackle being out for the year, I have to get my hats off to this Tennessee offensive line. That was incredible. And you know who else I have to get my hats off? Like, I'm not going to say the whole year. I'm just talking about this week. Okay. The Bengals. The Bengals O-line has been getting sweated all year, all year. And they came with it, and they played a great game on Sunday. Hopefully, they can keep building this and keep keep picking this up uh, um, and protect uh, Burrow and, and get it going. But uh, those, those guys right there, I got to get my hats off to them because this past week, they did some impressive things. Dude, I'm out on making predictions about the Bengals after these last few weeks. Like, I feel like betters, fantasy people, you're just like, I don't know, let it ride. Like, I, I don't want to talk about know. fantasy. I, <laughs> I, I, I had like five bye weeks this week. I don't even want to talk about fantasy. Are I knew you, I was losing. Are are you? You're a fantasy player. I love oh, it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I had like, I had like five bye weeks and I got Jamar Chase and oh, the, yeah. the uh, Cleveland tight end. They're both out. So I, I, my whole, I had, to, it was just, I knew I lost. I just, I had like two empties. <laughs> Yeah. Well, so this is one of my problems with uh fantasy. You're probably playing in a league that doesn't have a particularly uh deep bench. Like, do you have a lot yep, of bench definitely. spots? Yeah, nope. And I can't so the, get rid of the guys on the buy or hurt. Exactly. So I, like, so I just had two empty. I knew I I knew I was losing. So Donald, this is what you need to do. You need to go to whoever's in charge of your league and make the argument moving forward that they need to have deeper benches because short benches are the worst in fantasy because when a week like this comes along, you got to roll out a zero and leave some empties. Nobody should play like that. It's not fun. Oh, and then the people I picked up on the waiver, they were out. They were injured. I got, I got uh, a uh, backup uh, running back from Panthers. He was out. 
And I was just so bad. Like, I, I just don't even talk about fantasy this week. I just don't even right. talk about this week. Well, you, you hit me up if you need any advice. I'm deep in the weeds in the fantasy okay. stuff. So if you ever need some waiver wire or like, hey, I'm in this situation, uh, I'm happy to help you out. I really appreciate you making time for us today, Donald. Really appreciate it. It's always fun talking to you. No problem. Anytime. Thank you. Have a good one. You can find Donald on Twitter at dpin70. Don't know if he has Romeo Dobbs on that fantasy roster, but if he does, he's going to have to move him to the bench. According to Ian Rappaport, Dobbs has a high ankle sprain and will likely miss four to six weeks. Luckily for the Packers, Aaron Jones is not expected to miss time. Tests on his ankle came back negative, according to Schefter, and he is expected to play on Sunday. Meanwhile, in Carolina, P.J. Walker is going to remain the starter for the Panthers, despite being benched at halftime against the Bengals with nine passing yards on 10 attempts in a game where since he was missing several cornerbacks. Baker Mayfield, by the way, 14 fantasy points in the second half of that game, finished just outside the top 12 at the quarterback position, which tells you everything you need to know about how bad it was this week at that position in fantasy. Not for Justin Fields, though. His 178 rushing yards propelled him to a QB1 finish heading into Monday night, his fifth straight week in the top 12, his fourth week in the top seven, his third straight week in the top five, his second straight week in the top three. Sensing a pattern here? Are you wondering if it will continue? Well, guess who's up next for Chicago? The Detroit Lions. Smash spot. Of course, we'll get to the rest of my Week 10 Fantasy Thoughts on Friday. First, though, we've got a great guest lined up for Wednesday's episode. I think it's going to be a really good show, so be sure to subscribe so it is right there waiting for you as soon as it drops. And in the interim, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the weekend football, on the show, whatever. I'm at Lindsay underscore Rhodes on Twitter, Lindsay Rhodes NFL on Instagram. I want to thank you again for listening. Thanks to Andrew Emmer, our wonderful producer. The NFL Roadshow is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. Hope you have a great week, everybody. SiriusXM Podcasts.